0: I'm just glad to see you all here tonight. This is—I don't know—I don't know if this is just me or if there was something in the air. I don't know if it was the stars aligning a certain way. This week, this week was uphill in molasses all week. I, I didn't get—everything was a grind this week for some reason, and so was preparing the sermon and thinking about Sunday night. And it was one of those nights we were like, oh, "If I could just snap my fingers, it'd be Monday morning. Life would be so much easier." uh and then i see y'all's faces and i'm just glad uh to be here one i'm glad i get to see your faces now uh and not a mask but i'm also just glad that you are here and we get to be here together um we are this week going back into the lectionary text so we've we've been off we've been off the grid for a couple weeks it's been it's been wild and crazy out there uh and we're back on uh, back on track and of course when we get back on track the lectionary text here is a little bit strange i think um I'll talk about that in a minute, but let's go ahead and just read through it once again. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter twenty-one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. This is actually the middle of a much longer uh, set of teachings from Jesus. Uh, that's hard to really give much context for, but let's uh, let's just kind of look at this, and then tonight's tonight's going to be like half testimonial, half sermon. Not real long because we're going to hear from uh, from other folks uh, in a minute, but. Uh, I think there's something here for us tonight if if we pay attention to it. So John chapter 21, verses 18 through 25 says this. This is Jesus talking. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. We'll, start, we'll focus on this second half more tonight. Verse 25 says, I have said these things to you, I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. That's a mouthful. There's a lot of things happening in here and a lot of, a lot of different things we could talk about. It's a bit of a strange choice in the lectionary text because we're still technically in the Easter season and then suddenly we've hit the rewind button and we're catching a teaching of Jesus before the crucifixion even happens, let alone resurrection. And honestly, as I was looking at it this week, there's so many different threads going here, and it kind of winds around itself. This is one of those teachings of Jesus that if you tried to diagram the sentence, did you have to do that? Or do they do that anymore? The diagramming of the sentences? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. I wouldn't be able to diagram these sentences, right? They just, they're all over the place. And I was struggling to think about what to say about this passage, and then as I really kind of focused on verses 25 through 29, I began to think that maybe, uh, maybe this is a great uh, section of scripture for us to talk about tonight. Um, I mean, it's tough to talk about. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, and by nature, that can be a very difficult thing to talk about. And this text is pulled out of a much longer teaching that is way too much to fit into one sermon. But on a Sunday, where part of what we're going to do is celebrate our graduates. Maybe this is a great thing to talk about, what he's saying here. Because remember, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what comes next, the great unknown that happens when they step out apart from him, right? And, and graduation is nothing if not that. And I don't know about how it works for you, those of you that are, uh, shall we just say postgraduate and not old, does that work, Postgraduate? But that time was a, that was a strange time in my life. I don't know about you, it was a strange time in my life, right? There was this weird mix of things. There was this excitement that I was heading into this new next stage. I was kind of stepping out on my own a little bit to live a little more independently than I had before. And that was really exciting because I was 18 and I already knew that I knew it all, which is great. Now I'm too old to know if I know it all, but then I knew most everything I needed to. But it was also... If I'm honest, as as much as I was ready to take the next step, it was coupled with fear. Because I didn't know how all this was supposed to work without the people and the systems and the things I'd always had around me. So it was a super heightened time for me. Good, bad, scared, excited, all these things happening at once, right? And maybe it wasn't that big a deal for you. Maybe I'm just weird. But in that time, one of the things I liked the most about it was as I was going to get to step into this whole new context, I was going to get to define who I was for people. Uh, I personally wasn't a big fan of the Mike Dixon everyone knew in high school. To be fair, most of my high school wasn't a big fan of the Mike Dixon they knew either, so we were all on the same page. And when I was heading off to college, I was going to go someplace where no one knew who I was and I could reinvent myself. I could decide who Mike was going to be. And I I took that on. I decided uh, before I even graduated, I went to a school where you had to be careful about hair and things like that. But I started growing out my hair so I could time it to where like the day after graduation, it was illegal for my high school. Started growing my hair out. I started purchasing uh, band t-shirts that would raise eyebrows at the Christian college campus I was getting ready to be on. And I decided at the time that I was going to try this new persona on. I was going to will myself into becoming this kind of quiet, maybe aloof, brooding, very serious, artistic kind of guy, right? And Some of you, I, I even heard a giggle or two out there, and, and you know what, what I know, which is that didn't last very long for obvious reasons. I can't pull off aloof or brooding. And I'm actually not artistic in any way. So it wasn't really who I was. As it turns out, I was just still kind of depressed. And I thought I mistook that for an ID at the time uh, for who I was. But even though I kind of went, I I took my first couple steps into the college world that were not great steps, if I'm honest with you. But pretty quickly, college became the place where I found out who I was. I found my own faith. I got comfortable in my own skin. It was a beautiful time in my life. It's where I got to act on being my own person. And for me, wasn't this way for everyone. For me, it was also a place where I got to figure that out while not being alone. It was the ideal kind of situation for me. I got to individuate. I got to figure out who I was. I got to fail and succeed and figure out who I really was without having to isolate. It was kind of the exact opposite of high school for me. In high school, I never individuated. I never really quite figured out who I was, what I was good at, what I was bad at. I just didn't even know who I was, and I was isolated. It was the worst of combinations. But thankfully, college is where I found my faith, I found my identity, and I found the first real community within which I could be who I was and find out what that means in the world. I could be who I was, and I I did it without being uh, by myself. It changed the course of my life, that, that period of time. I am who I am today because of what happened in those couple short years. And to be honest, I still think uh, it's a deep fear of mine that I'll somehow lose that at some point. I, I remember very few dreams, but I have one recurring nightmare that I've had for like 20 years, I, I maybe longer than that. And that recurring, and I may even told you guys this before, and for any uh, you know, psychiatrists in the crowd, please don't tell me what it means. I'm not strong enough to know. But I, I'll have this dream where I kind of the, the kind of the scene opens up, and I'm uh, obviously standing side stage at some kind of play or performance. You can't see the crowd, but you know there's a crowd there. There's a spotlight on the stage. There's someone out there acting. They're not singing, thankfully, because I can't sing. I don't think you have been in my dreams. And there's someone acting out a scene, and I'm standing there. And there's someone's hand on my back. And I, as soon as it kind of comes to you, I realize I'm a part of this play. And I've also realized I don't know what the play is. I don't know any of my lines. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And the that, I know is the person getting ready to say, okay, you know, like, go ahead, enter. And every time, it, my, the dream works the exact same way every time. So I'm, I'm there, and I get a little panicky. And then I say to myself, you're pretty good on the fly you can make this work. And, and to be honest, in college, in fact, one of the things that meant the most to me in college, I, I joined an improv troupe and I did I did an improvisational theater where you literally make it up on the spot. And I did okay at it. And so I've, I got comfortable in that. And so in my dream, I'm super I'm super arrogant. I'm like, all right, I got this. It's gonna be a, How hard could it be to make up a play on the spot with someone who has lines and you know you don't have any? And so I go out, I boldly go out and I get tapped on the back and I start having the scene. Uh, it's a different person every time. So it's a different play. I don't, I don't know what any of this means again, but I start to just wing it because I'm great and I don't know what I'm doing and it gets off the rails in a hurry and it, the plane is hitting the mountain and the person just stops saying things and they're looking at me with that look of what are you doing to us and then the, the light starts to get real hot and you can hear the murmurs in the crowd I can't see the crowd because it's too bright on the stage and you can hear everyone getting uncomfortable and then at some point this other person just disappears off the stage I'm literally standing by myself on, on the stage I don't know what to say, and I can feel everyone just staring at me, right? And then I wake up. Isn't that great? Go ahead. You know, Mr. Freud, have fun with that. I don't know what that says about me, but I have that often. And what I think about, the feeling that I have from that dream is that since that, um, I don't know who I am, and I'm all alone, right? I think that's at the core. If you really boiled it down to the essence, I have no idea who I am, who I'm supposed to be, and I'm all by myself up there. And it's the worst feeling. Uh, that, that, that was how I, For me, that's how I felt most of the time I was in high school. And I think that's a deep fear for all of us. I think all of us struggle with that. I, well, I'm going to say that so I don't feel bad about myself. I think all of us struggle with that on some level. And as I read this section, uh, the larger section and even our specific verses here tonight... I feel like this is a bit of what Jesus is trying to process and work through with these disciples. And keep in mind, again, these disciples are are hearing things from the person they've given their life to. They don't know what to do with. He's talking about being gone. He's talking about leaving them on their own. Horrible things are getting ready to happen right in front of their eyes. And Christ is here preparing his closest friends for the day they will be on their own. When the nightmare comes true, they're on stage lights on, and they aren't sure who they are or what they're supposed to do. And what what Christ is saying to them in this moment, I think, what he reiterates over and over to them and here very specifically is, you are never alone. You're never alone. And he does this in part by telling them about one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith, In the Christian faith, we talk about God in a way that mathematically makes no sense. And people have tried to explain it a bunch of different ways, and none of it really works. It's a great mystery of the faith. We talk about God as triune. We talk about what we call the Trinity. God is three and one at the same time. We talk of God as Father, of Son, and as Holy Spirit. Or maybe another way you can think about that is God above us, God with us, and God within us. Right? God who created all things, is the beginning of all things, the first mover, above and beyond us, incomprehensible. And God who took flesh and blood, became incarnate, lived a life like we live, lived and died as we do. And now a God who is with us and within us, In this indefinable Holy Spirit, something we can't quite pin down or talk about, but we know it is there. In fact, earlier in John, Jesus tells a religious teacher, Nicodemus, that it is like the wind. You can't see it, but you know its effects. We believe in the God above us, a God with us, a God within us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is in a very real way with you, always, here, now. And in fact, in today's text, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, in Greek it is paraclete. Paraclete in Greek. And some of your Bibles may have it translated uh, as the great comforter or something like that, which is perfectly fine, but it's just honestly not a great translation. What it literally means is the advocate. The advocate. Someone who is summoned to plead someone's case on behalf of them. The advocate is what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. And that is a beautiful term, and that is something I held on to, and I learned uh, when I was probably 20 years old, and it kind of changed the direction of my life. The idea that God is not just with us, and not even within us, but God is for us. God is with us, God is within us, but God is also for us. And to be perfectly honest, that's not something I even considered for the first 20 years of my life. And I grew up in church. I grew up in church in Christian schools in a devout family. I was in Sunday school or Bible class six out of seven days a week, my entire life. I said the prayer when I was four years old, uh, in my preschool class with Miss Todd in the hallway. I had a crush on her. I wanted some alone time, but I also really believed in God and wanted to say the prayer. Right? I mean, it was, it was a big part of my life. Uh, I, I've got the credentials. I've got the church credentials. But for some reason, I don't know if it was specifically taught to me or something I just came up with, um, probably some combination of both, but for some reason I held tightly to the idea that God's primary posture towards me was judge, was enforcer. We talked a lot about, yes, God loves us, but God also judges us. And, of course, the way we talked about it growing up, God's love and God's judgment were two totally separate things. They didn't come from the same place, which I don't believe anymore. God is loving, yes, but God judges, not God judges us because God is loving, and what does judgment mean? None of that. God was, primary posture towards me was the enforcer, was the judge. God was the keeper of the ledger and the accuser of my screw-ups. He was not advocating for me. If we were in the courtroom, he wasn't sitting next to me in the courtroom. He was the one accusing me. And of course, i would never taken the time in Scripture to realize that Scripture names someone as the accuser, and it's not God. But that's the role that I had God in for all practical purposes. That's how I viewed God. I could conceive broadly of the idea that God loved me in some cosmic deified sense because I sang the VBS songs, and I knew that's what I was supposed to believe. But I would have never conceived of the idea that God was for me. God advocated for me. I wasn't even for me. Why would God be, right? And I can honestly tell you that unlearning that lie was the best thing that probably happened to me. Uh, and for me, it happened to be in those college years, not too long after my uh, super unimpressive graduation. And of course, this isn't a lesson just for graduates, right? Because we never leave this journey. I may not be in school any longer. I may not be physically capable of rebelliously growing out my hair anymore. I need that many laughs for it, but okay. But I am still in constant need of being reminded of who God is and who God is not. Of being reminded that God is with me, God is within me, and God is for me. That all, of God, all that God does in my life comes from the posture of love, even the hard stuff. That conversation never really ends for us. Because let's be honest, life can come at you pretty fast and pretty furiously, and it's easy to lose track of who God is and what really matters in this world. We have jobs and bills and crisis and tragedy and all the things that occupy and obscure the peace that Christ offers. Peace I give to you. Not the kind of peace we find in the world, he tells his disciples. Not the kind of peace that comes from winning or overpowering or at the end of a sword, but Christ's peace. The peace that comes for dying for those you love. For washing their feet and for giving them anew every morning. The peace that comes with love and patience and kindness and generosity and gentleness and self-control, which are what the Bible calls the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit of God who is within us and around us, right? Those little flags that the Holy Spirit plants in our lives and in our world so that we can always find God. The signs to Christ's disciples then and now that they are not alone on this stage. I don't want to belabor the point we're going to get to here. Uh, do communion here from our graduates, which is what most of you are here for anyways, and I get that. But let us take this simple and profound truth with us tonight. Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you just need to hear it for the millionth time. You are not alone. God is with you. The body of Christ is with you. God is for you. The body of Christ is for you. You are never alone. The God who created us and loves us without condition is with us and within us, and you are not and you cannot be alone. And as we all walk through the particularities of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as we learn the good news and the bad news of who we are and what we can do and cannot do, and what we're good at and what we fail at, please remember, God is not your accuser. God is your advocate, always, always and forever remember that your God is with you your God is within you and your God is for you even when you are not and no matter how we feel in any given moment we are not alone let's pray Our Lord and our God, we are grateful. The truth is that uh, many of us have a lot to unlearn. That we have come to believe because someone else told us, or because it's just what we assumed, that you are the accuser, that you are a keeper of the ledger. that you are out to settle um, our accounts when in fact you are the advocate for us. So God, tonight we are grateful that you are not only a God who is above us, a God who has created all things, but you are a God who is with us and you are a God who is within us and that you, as the creator of all things, as the giver of unconditional love, are for us. May we take that truth deep Within us, may that be the thing that we root our lives in. And, Lord, may we reenact that as a community. May we, as the body of Christ, be for each other. God, we do love you. We are here because we love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.